This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Building a system to substantially curtail onerous occupational licensing means some licenses going away in the normal course of affairs. A few states have begun implementing so-called sunset reviews to end some licenses altogether. And 2020 may be a big year for reform. Erica Jedinak is Director of Employment Initiatives for Stand Together. We spoke last month in Colorado Springs. Anyone who listens to this podcast regularly will know uh, the basic broad strokes of occupational licensing and uh, how it is uh, progressive regulation for the most part. But to what extent are states cognizant of that today in a way that they might not have been four or five years ago? Yeah. So I th- I think states are looking at it more than ever. The National Conference of State Legislatures just finished up their two-year consortium of over half a dozen states who are actively working on this. But we haven't seen the real structural reform that's needed, meaning a full review process. There's only been about four states that have gone through a complete review of their hundreds of licenses. Okay. So uh, there are states vary in what they uh, choose to license and what they don't. And I guess my cynical view is that, well, those lobbies are relatively less or more uh, competent in those states to try to get those kinds of licenses passed. But uh, when you talk about a structural reform, I assume you're talking about uh, going through a process where a lot of licenses just as a matter of policy just go away over some time period because they do not demonstrate on an ongoing basis benefits to consumers. Yes. So we call it a sunset review. And so in some states, it could be every three years, all licenses, they go away unless the legislature renews them. Arkansas is doing this right now. They have a six-year process. I think probably the most ideal reform is what Ohio enacted earlier this year, where they actually set criteria for the structural reform, meaning the least restrictive regulation needs to be used and there needs to be a justified public harm, so a negative aspect of public safety for that license to exist. And the contrast of that are states like mine in New Jersey, where there are licenses that have no educational requirement. They're just essentially the government collecting a fee. Okay. So what how does what does that look like in practice? I mean, if Ohio is new to this, Arkansas, when did they adopt their reform? Very recently. So Arkansas just started in September and they are going through a six-year process where every month they take about a dozen licenses and the legislature actually reviews them. Okay. So when uh Advocates for licensure, that is incumbent practitioners, want to maintain the license that they have. What do they tell lawmakers? What what do what arguments do they make on behalf of this needs to be licensed? It def- definitely has an impact on health and safety, and consumers clearly benefit from uh, only being able to choose. Uh, as a legal matter, uh, licensed practitioners of some practice. Yeah, I think there's two key arguments that they use. One, that people are going to die, that there's some terrible, terrible harm. Uh, In the case of hair braiding, right, folks have said that there's 
could be fungus on on folks' hair, that they'll spread disease that's very dangerous, which is obviously false, but it's always about some kind of public harm that way. And then there's higher wages. You'll hear folks, uh, particularly on the left, say that, well, licensing actually increases wages and we're helping people. And that, and that, and that I assume they mean that in the same way that minimum wages raise wages, which is it raises wages for the people who continue to be employed in that field. Exactly. It's shrinking the supply, therefore jacking up the price. And for consumers, this this hits a lot of low-income communities as well on the consumer side. So uh, are lawmakers less agreeable to those kinds of arguments these days? I know, uh, and full disclosure here, my wife has done a lot of work in this area and has filed thousands upon thousands of open records requests to find out whether certain licenses actually do deliver the the benefits that uh, are claimed uh but but how do how do lawmakers tend to respond if if a few states now are implementing a review process it seems like they're at the very least not immediately credulous to uh, a lot of these claims made by uh, incumbents yeah so it's a mixed bag you'll see in some states like arkansas um legislators are interested in that reform process, but other states, and it really goes the gambit, it's not necessarily red or blue, but legislators who have some kind of connection to a special interest. So maybe they have a wife or a daughter who owns a salon, right? And they care very much about cosmetology, or maybe themselves, they're a locksmith, or they really care about protectionism in a specific industry, you'll see blocks in those states. And then other states, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Ohio took up structural reform. Uh, Florida's interested in reform. Just saw a piece in Maine. Maine is looking at universal recognition, which means essentially what Arizona did this past year and accepting licenses from anywhere in the country to really increase economic mobility and business in state. Is there a risk? I spoke with Lee McGrath a while back. Hello, Lee. Um, uh, On this idea that uh, of universal recognition being states accept licenses from elsewhere and therefore people who are practitioners have a, a much easier time moving from state to state and maybe they're going into an area where it's otherwise very expensive uh, and want to take advantage of uh, the arbitrage there. Uh, but is there – do you get a sense that there's any interest at this point in the federal government deciding we're going to handle this uh, uh, licensure recognition among states? Yes. So there is definitely interest from the federal government. And I want to stress that I think that's a bad idea, (laughs) but go ahead. I don't think that there's a practical mechanism for the federal government to completely take over, right? To take over or replace that. But there's definitely going to be a push, I think, in 2020 to see what can be done through departments and agencies at the federal government. Now, I don't know what this will look like, what will be pushed out to the states, but I think it's possible and very likely. Yeah, it seems unfortunate because I've heard uh, several Democratic candidates for president. I remember Barack Obama cited uh, Institute for Justice Research and talking about occupational licensing as being this uh, economic impediment for a lot of people, especially low-income people. But my uh, sense is that to the extent that candidates for president are talking about occupational licensing, which is overwhelmingly a state issue, 
that I get concerned that their solution is going to be a federal program, which seems to be moving in the wrong direction. As you should be. And the issue is also, will the federal government mandate something? Will they subsidize reforms? Because anytime the federal government gets involved, right, if they were to subsidize reforms, uh, not only is it an expenditure that's not needed, right, but it could also be implemented poorly, as we see with so many programs, particularly at the federal government. This is an area that has to come from the states. So uh, as these states move forward, you mentioned Florida is interested, but Ohio and Arkansas are uh, actually doing these sunset reviews. What looks like success uh, from your perspective? Yes. So just about two years, within the past two years, both Nebraska and Mississippi implemented reviews with the least restrictive regulation. Uh, And so They've actually reviewed licenses, got rid of them, or even just lessened them. So I know your listeners are probably aware there's a number of different alternatives to government licensure, which is the most restrictive. Uh, There can be government certification. There can be private certification, right? We're seeing trends now with universal recognition of states accepting other uh, licenses. So There's a broad spectrum of reform, and some states, like I said, Nebraska and Mississippi, have have gone in the right direction. So the ideal, of course, is that no one has to be licensed to do anything. Uh, (laughs) But what, uh, you know, moving in that direction, so it's moving from licensing to uh, a a private certification, which any any group could uh, set up their own certification process, or mere registration or moving from registration to nothing. Um, uh, you know, is there a target uh, for these states to say, we recognize that a lot of these are pointless? It's interesting you bring up if there's a target. So I have not seen anything that ranks all the different licenses and what would be needed for public safety. I think it's probably certainly needed and perhaps scholars should look at it. I do know that in states like Mississippi that got rid of, for example, their hair braiding license and they replaced it with a voluntary registration, what the state saw is within one year, 4,000 hair braiders set up shop. Now, I'm assuming, we can assume a lot of them were operating illegally, but if you think about it, there were that many more entrepreneurs and businesses out in the open, supporting their families, being able to just market and advertise, right, and do better for themselves. So that's just one example of a success story. Erica Jedinak is Director of Employment Initiatives for Stand Together. We spoke last month in Colorado Springs. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 